Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. <clears throat> My name is Jesse Romero, one man car. Hey, we just had a spiritual warfare conference here in Southern California. <clears throat> it was probably one of the best conferences I've ever attended. We had Bishop Strickland, America's bishop. <laughs> if I can say that, yeah, I could say that, and I will say that. We had Father Chad Ripperger, <clears throat> I would call America's real exorcist. <clears throat> then we had his uh, his two instructors, his two team members, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Dan Schneider, uh He's an adjunct professor at the University of Steubenville. Something about Dr. Dan, kind of interesting. He's the only college professor. <clears throat> he's the only Catholic college professor that I know that's boxed in the ring <clears throat> and fought in war. Talk about a man's man. And yeah, he teaches theology at Steubenville. And he was one of the speakers as well. He was on, he's on Father Ripper's uh, team. Also, <clears throat> Kyle Clement. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a cowboy, ex-rodeo ex cowboy, you know, uh, one of those guys that, uh, you know, used to wrestle, you know, steers and tie him up. Yeah, that's that's Kyle Clement. He's Father Ripperger's right-hand man. Literally his right-hand man for the last 15 years, 15, 20 years. And uh, these are the four people that presented. If you want to get the, the, the talks, I'm telling this is high-level Catholicism. This is red meat Catholicism. If you want to get these presentations, I would recommend that you go to vmpr.org, vmpr.org. And you can order the uh, you can order the conference, and you can own them and have them have them you know and listen to them for the rest of your life. Okay, <clears throat> the month of March is dedicated to Saint Joseph. The entire month of March it brings you know, it reminds us of the liturgical season of Lent, which is represented by the liturgical color purple, which is a symbol of penance, mortification, and the sorrow of a contrite heart. Also, want to remind you that we as Catholics, uh, we're called to be great saints. So don't miss the opportunity. On Mondays, as you well know, I want to take a topic, <clears throat> and, uh, and give me, let me get my, my my cup of tea here. Nursing a little cold that I brought from California. Okay. On Mondays, I want to talk about areas of the Catholic faith that are going to open your eyes, and you're going to say, "Wow, I never knew that." And are literally going to make you proud to be Catholic. <clears throat> One of the things that I want to do today, and it may be a two-part series because this is huge. I want to talk about slavery and the way the Catholic Church, little by little, had everything to do with the eradication of slavery. I'll tell you, <clears throat> this wasn't a real problem. This is not a big problem for Protestants. I'll tell you why. Because since Protestants are sola scriptura, Bible alone, you could see that slavery was not so much prescribed in the Bible. It wasn't prescribed by God, but it was tolerated in Scripture. It was tolerated around the world. But it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the influence of the Catholic Church on religious liberty the dignity of the human person where the, where the Catholic Church, little by little, using the force of her weight, 
her teaching authority little by little eradicated the institution of slavery. So let's let's do a deep dive. <clears throat> the enslavement of people is an evil that has existed throughout human history and even continues in modern times. Slavery was an important factor in American history and our society still debates its legacy. And we're going to examine the role of the Catholic Church in the story of slavery within the Western Hemisphere. That's what we want to take a look at. And when I, when I say that slavery is still practiced now, absolutely. We have slavery being practiced by the cartels. It's called human sex trafficking. This is a huge business. You also have slavery being practiced in, in many uh, Islamic countries that are governed with the Quran under Sharia law. <clears throat> they practice slavery. They, they don't call it slavery. They'll call it dimitude, dimitude, which means a non-Muslim in those societies are second-class citizens. Now, slavery is not a defensible institution to our contemporary minds, but it seems like if our ancestors, at least in salvation history, they accepted slavery as a norm in their daily lives. Again, I think they just tolerated it. Americans have a, have a tendency to study and teach about slavery through the, through the narrow prism of their own experience. Slavery, however, <clears throat> was not confined to the United States. As Harvard sociologist Orlando Patterson has stated, it has existed in virtually every part of the world. Slavery in Spanish and Portuguese colonies were sh was shaped by a Catholic heritage, while slavery in the United States was more directly influenced by a Protestant English background. This account explores the historical development of slavery within Catholic societies of the Iberian Peninsula and how this legacy shaped the form and the existence of slavery within Spanish and Portuguese colonies. Slavery in Catholic nations was obviously <clears throat> influenced by the presence of a, of a powerful Catholic Church. In contrast, slavery in the United States was fundamentally shaped by an English Protestant heritage. As the Catholic Catechism explains, while there's no explicit teaching against slavery in the Gospels, the spiritual equality of men as children of the same father, together with the golden rule, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which teaches, so always treat others as you would like them to treat you, close quote. And Christ's affection for the poor and oppressed provided the principles that were slowly to penetrate the nascent Christian society. St. Paul, while instructing slaves to obey their masters, also exhorted masters to treat their slaves in the same manner. Since <clears throat> both are servants of the same master, the Catechism explains, earthly masters should deal justly and even kindly with those whom, with whom a pagan society calls slaves. And it was actually St. Patrick, Patrick, Bishop, one of the church's most beloved saints, 
who was the first public person in history to openly condemn the institution of slavery. So, issues arising from slavery and the Catholic Church, we're going to analyze them to understand the complex factors which shape the Church's role in confronting the institution of slavery. So the institution of slavery, really it dates back as far as recorded human history. Slavery existed in Babylonia. It is referred to in the ancient Egyptian writings. And laws governing slaves are cited in the Code of Hammurabi. It's also discussed in the Old Testament. And it was common amongst the Greeks and the Romans. Slavery continued in Western civilization in various forms until the 19th century. And only in the last 200 years, think about that, only in the last 200 years has there been widespread revulsion against slavery throughout the world. And I can tell you this is as a result because of the Catholic Church, the conscience of the Catholic Church. So there are three historic characteristics of slavery. A, B, and C. A, a slave is a property of another. B, a slave is subject to the will and authority of an, of an owner. And C, slavery entails services obtained through means of coercion. Again, all major ancient civilizations utilize slave labor. In fact, Aristotle argued that it was natural for some people to govern others and for some people to be held in a condition of slavery. He believed slaves should obey their superiors. He did not, however, believe that slavery resulted from innate biological or racial factors, attributing it instead to such consequences as being captured in war. Slavery was also a way of life in democratic Athens, and Imperial Rome. Athens in 300 BC had approximately 35,000 citizens and over 200,000 slaves. Rome, at the height of its power, had 520,000 citizens and 250,000 slaves. It's estimated that from 50 BC to 150 AD, the Roman Empire annually required about 500,000 slaves to meet its needs. Wow. So once again, this this was just an evil that was tolerated around the world. Slavery in ancient times was not restricted to particular people because of their skin color, but encompassed people of all colors and backgrounds. Slavery was an outcome of circumstances rather than a manifestation of supposed inferiority. Listening to Jesus 911 One Day Show, talking about the amazing contributions of the Catholic faith, I'm doing a deep dive on slavery. We'll see how the church eradicated that eventually. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, one-man car. My name is Jess Romero. We're talking about a deep dive on slavery, the way the Catholic Church, the, the amazing contribution to the Catholic Church throughout history, uh, <clears throat> the way she eradicated slavery through her teachings. I want you just to reflect. It's, it's, a, it's a season of Lent. Look at this crucifix that I have. It's good for every Catholic home to have a bloody crucifix like this. Okay? And if you have a nice, you know, a crucifix that's nice and clean, put blood on it. It's good to look upon a bloody crucifix and meditate upon the five wounds of Jesus Christ. Especially to heal you, to purify your mind and your thoughts from this over-sexualized, pornified culture that we live in. Think about this cross here. Our Lord Jesus Christ, with a crown of thorns on his head, with a cross of wood on his back, he had you in his mind. He had you on his mind. Think about that. Okay, talking about slavery in the Catholic Church, the way slavery was tolerated all over the world and little by little the catholic church's teachings began chiseling away people uh i don't know if people realize that that uh slaves in ancient times they weren't restricted to people of different color slavery was an outcome of circumstances of your economics rather than a manifestation of supposed inferiority so black-skinned romans owned white slaves White-skinned Romans owned white slaves or black slaves. It was all, slavery was based on class warfare. Slaves married. They had children and worked in a variety of occupations in Greece or Rome. Many were educated as their masters who were utilized as tutors for children, overseers or skilled craftsmen, or slaves who obtained their freedom could also become Roman citizens so they could work their way to freedom. Christianity arose in a world that accepted slavery as a norm. And church leaders did not originally attempt to extinguish slavery since it was so integrated within existing societies. Nonetheless, there were outright theological denunciations such as anti-slavery homilies of St. Gregory of Nyssa already in the 4th century. It is doubtful, however, that the Christian church during its early stages had the power or influence to persuade rulers to end slavery since slave labor power was critically important in the maintenance of economies as well as a source of soldiers in time of war. And given the existing conditions, the church endeavored to ameliorate conditions for slaves and ensure that they could be practicing Christians. So, again, you have homilies all the way back in the 4th century. St. Gregory of Nyssa, where the church is is already speaking out against this institution. But, again, you're speaking against incredibly powerful forces such as the Roman Empire. The, The Catholic Church accepted the presence of slaves in European societies. However, the church was concerned that slaves be afforded normal access to church services, including marriage rights, and the sanctity of the family had to be protected. Enslavement of Europeans by other Europeans was a normal occurrence in Europe 
as late as the 11th and 12th centuries. It's estimated that 10% of the English and Irish populations at this time consisted of slaves. Norse raiders continually seized people to be sold as slaves in other parts of the world. A major source of slaves was the Black Sea, where the Slavic peoples were sold as slaves to Muslim societies as well as to Western Europe. <clears throat> Alfonso de Weiss, in the years 1263 to 1265, he codified Spanish laws governing slavery in and was called the Seven Walls. At the core of this document was a Christian belief that all men are free and equal before God, and a master had no greater moral and spiritual status than a slave. Slaves could marry in the Catholic Church, families could not be separated, and slaves could purchase their freedom. Slaves had the protection of courts if their rights were violated. Mastered, excuse me, masters who tortured or killed their slaves were subject to punishment. So again, if you notice, the Catholic voices sprinkled here and there are doing their best to, <clears throat> to bring some type of... A, they're trying to bring some type of, they're trying to eradicate slavery. What I would call this death by a thousand slashes. You know, homilies here, documents there, bishop statements here. Again, but this, this institution was so embedded, the church had, didn't, ha, didn't have the power, the political or moral power to stop it. But just the church kept speaking out against it consistently throughout the ages. The expansion of the Muslim religions led to a significant part of the Iberian Peninsula being conquered by the Muslims, by the Moors. Slavery, <clears throat> the Iberian Peninsula, this is, we're talking about Spain here and Portugal. Slavery was widely practiced by Muslims, including extensive use of slaves and armed forces. It's estimated that Muslim societies from the 10th to the 16th centuries annually imported about 5,000 black African slaves from West Africa. And during the centuries of Muslim presence on the Iberian Peninsula, large numbers of black and white-skinned slaves played important roles in their society, as well as being members of the armed forces fighting Christians. As Portuguese travelers <clears throat> traveled down the west coast of Africa, they became involved in the slave trade. It's estimated that 150,000 black-skinned Africans were brought to the Iberian Peninsula as slaves during the 1400s. They participated in all segments of society and in virtually every occupation. Many obtained their freedom their, their, and married whites. And the overwhelming majority of these people eventually melded into society in Portuguese society, Spanish and Portuguese society. Slave traders in Africa sold slaves to all parts of the Muslim world as well as to many areas in Europe. Europe tended to purchase slaves from these traders rather than engage in armed, talk, in, in armed tactics to obtain slaves. European slave traders were more active in selling white-skinned Slavic peoples to Muslim societies than in the black African slave trade. <clears throat> Any non-Christian in Africa was subject to be enslaved by Christians. But whereas conversion of Jews and Muslims had to be voluntary, 
the enslavement of pagans was justified on grounds that they benefited that they benefited by exposure to Christianity. Slavery on the Iberian Peninsula was practiced by all groups, including Muslims, Jews, and Christians. Eventually, Jews were forbidden to own Christian slaves, and the idea of racial separation or racial inferiority was not a common view among Spanish or Portuguese people. Slaves on the Iberian Peninsula had rights, including the right to secure freedom, and they had the protection of courts if they were abused by masters. The introduction of black-skinned slaves into Iberian society gradually led to the disappearance of white-skinned slaves. African slaves were less expensive and had greater difficulty escaping into a predominantly white population. White-skinned slaves had support from friends and relatives. Black Africans worked in every aspect of society. They were coachmen, uh, craftsmen, stewards, farmers, servants, and even soldiers. At no point did the Spanish or Portuguese institute restrictions upon enslavement or movement that was found in the antebellum American South. The Catholic Church sanctioned African religious organizations such as, as the Brotherhoods. The Brotherhoods provided a range of activities for African slaves such as recreational and social events and even raise money to help slaves gain their freedom. Once again, the Catholic Church working behind the scenes, doing what she can to try to eradicate an evil institution that's embedded around the world. It was an assumption of most white-skinned Spanish and Portuguese people that over time Africans would become integrated within society. There was no assumption that black-skinned peoples were doomed to eternal slavery. As Spain and Portugal prepared for their invasion of the Western Hemisphere, slavery was an established institution. The capture and enslavement of enemies was an accepted practice. Yet the Catholic Church had witnessed the gradual disappearance of white-skinned slavery in the Western world and could reasonably have assumed that slavery eventually would die out as an institution. So that was, really, that was the hope of the Catholic Church. As there was homilies against slavery, documents written against slavery, bishops speaking about slavery, the Catholic Church hoped, or at least reasonably hoped, that slavery would eventually die out as an institution, that people's consciences would be so pricked that they would realize that this was inherently evil to own another human being. European explorers including Columbus, assumed that they had a right to conquer it and enslave uncivilized people. They operated upon the basis of a historical precedent which granted conquerors dominion over inhabitants of defeated nations. Europeans were also confused by the populations of the New World whose cultures and values were totally foreign to those of Europe. The climate, environment, And foods found in the New World had no analogy to their own life experience. Columbus was surprised and even bewildered by the nakedness of the Tainos whom he encountered in the Caribbean as well as their lack of sophisticated weaponry. He came to the conclusion that they were inferior people. The word Rasa in Castilian or in Portuguese 
meant a population of plants, animals, or peoples who through inheritance possessed common characteristics. The Spanish did not regard the Tainos as a race, not, not at least in the invidious pseudoscientific way that it was to be understood in the 19th century. They were simply people or members of a nation who could be conquered and enslaved. Really, the spread of Christianity was among the most important goals of Christopher Columbus. His encounter with the native populations of the New World opened opportunities to bring his faith to large numbers of people who lacked any knowledge of Christianity. At the same time, Columbus understood that that the Spanish monarchy, despite its interest in spreading Christianity, would not support expensive ventures of exploration unless there were financial rewards. Spanish missionaries' work among the the peoples of the New World was therefore inextricably linked to the acquisition of gold. You're listening to Jesus 911. I'm talking about the Catholic Church. It's a deep dive, historical analysis of of slavery, and the way little by little the Catholic Church kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. We're looking at the Catholic Church and its relationship to slavery throughout throughout history. Now, you'll find that there's a lot of people that like to try to discredit the Catholic Church You'll find the enemies of the church, <clears throat> they seek to innervate the authority of the church by speaking on contemporary moral issues. And one way they do this is by reinventing history. The enemies of the church paint the Catholic church with a dirty brush, <clears throat> and this way they embellish the worst elements in church history and understate its most conspicuous virtues. Those who like to beat up on the church often make these wild generalizations about the relationship between Catholicism and slavery. The truth is that the church did more more than virtually every other agent in society to check and eventually undermine this inhuman institution. It will do much to awaken Catholics to an honest assessment of the role that our religion played in confronting slavery. Students of the Enlightenment, they delight in comparing conditions past and present to an ideal that they imagine exists, or at least is is capable of existing. This is a flawed exercise, and it is one that smacks of hubris. In the never-never world that exists in a child's imagination, all things are possible. Upon reaching maturity, however... We expect that men and women will not succumb to this infantile folly. Yet over and over again, we have seen adults, almost all of whom have been intellectuals, fall prey to the false promise of utopia on earth. It is from such a mindset that harsh criticisms flow, and this explains the reason why Catholicism is blamed for slavery. Those who make this case do not compare the church's response to slavery to how other institutions behaved, but rather 
to some utopian ideal. But if they had settled for the former, they would have been converted from critic to admirer to the Catholic faith. <clears throat> you know, the, the element of hubris is evident by, by the self-righteous attitude that the church's critics often display. They set themselves up as moral beacons when in fact their own lives offer little reason for admiration when you think about this. As Paul Johnson once demonstrated, the private lives, <clears throat> the private lives of, our, uh, <clears throat> of our greatest intellectuals make for a long, sordid, disordered story. Those who love the Catholic Church do not want to see it harmed like myself. To be sure, the church is composed of sinners and no one denies that some awful, awfully cruel things have been done in the name of God. But it's important to remember that there has never been a single act committed by any human being who faithfully followed the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Sin is the consequence of rejecting the church's teachings, not following them. And so this is why I'm doing a deep dive on this issue of slavery. This is uh, obviously, this is not going to be a definitive and exhaustive, you know, presentation. But I would, I would at least like to take an effort that well exceeds the modest purpose of this, uh, of this project. <clears throat> and I want to just provide the reader, especially on Mondays, with intellectual ammunition that is, uh, <clears throat> that's needed to debunk the myths surrounding Catholicism and slavery. And so put to good use these programs on Monday and do what you can to defend Holy Mother the Church from the enemies of God, the enemies of the Church, against those who seek to discredit the Catholic Church. Okay, <clears throat> let me talk now about, yeah, now, now an area where there was the church's voices seem to have fallen silent during uh, the Middle Ages when it came to slavery for a while. The, <clears throat> the, the slavery in the Iberian America, the subjugation of Indians was justified on two grounds. This is the way they saw it back then. Again, A, their labor was required in order to obtain gold and other wealth, and B, they were uncivilized people who would be rewarded by being given access to a more advanced religion. So that's the way the Catholics saw it. And even the Protestants saw it. Both of them, both. They saw Christian as superior. And so, you know, their eventual, their, their eventual coming into Protestantism or Catholicism from uh, paganism was, a, was, was something that was uh, a reward for them. That's the way they saw it. European invaders <clears throat> conquered entire societies a combination of force of arms, deceit, and, and disease devastated large numbers of people in the New World. Nations like the Aztecs and Incas were totally destroyed and their leadership eliminated. <clears throat> the cultural heritage of these conquered peoples was replaced by a new one, which derived from European cultures. And the scarcity of European women among the conquistadores meant Spanish and Portuguese settlers and soldiers had extensive relations with indigenous women. Unlike English settler, settlers of North America who arrived as members of families, Iberian Peninsula conquerors were for the most part single men. 
large numbers of these men married Native Americans, which resulted in the emergence of a class whose parents were of mixed Iberian and Indian ancestry. Now, Catholic priests did not accompany Columbus on his initial voyage. However, during the ensuing years, a large number of clergy arrived in the New World to minister to both European and Native American religious needs. These clergy became active in propagating the Christian faith among conquered peoples and in the role as missionaries who were concerned with the interests of Native Americans, the clergy, the clergy encountered conflict with European settlers. Dominican clergy <clears throat> in the Caribbean region were concerned about the mistreatment of Tainos. And in 1511, Antonio de Montesinos, a Dominican priest, denounced to his Spanish parishioners their treatment of Indians. The voice says that, <clears throat> that you're living in deadly sin for the atrocities you tyrannically <clears throat> imposed on these innocent people. Tell me what right have you to enslave them? Now, this is, this is written by a Dominican priest in 1511. And again, he's concerned about <clears throat> the mistreatment of Indian slaves. They're called Tainos. The priest's name, Antonio de Montesinos. And he's concerned about the treatment of Indians. I'm going to read, re it's like a homily he gave. He said this in 1511. This voice that you're living in deadly sin for the atrocities you tyrannically impose on these innocent peoples, tell me, what right have you to enslave them? What authority did you, did you use to make war against them who lived at peace in their territories, killing them cruelly with methods never before heard of? How can you oppress them and not care to feed or cure them and work, and work them to death to satisfy your greed? And why don't you look after your spiritual health so that they should come to know God, that they should be baptized, and that they should hear Mass and keep the holy days. Aren't they human beings? Have they no rational soul? Aren't you obliged to love them as you love yourselves? Don't you understand? How can you live in such a lethargical dream? You must rest assured that you are in no better state of salvation than the Muslims or Turks who reject the Christian faith. Close quote. This is the Catholic priest writing to Catholics. Spanish settlers <clears throat> were infuriated by priests who interfered with their methods of dealing with the Indians. They insisted that, that Catholic clerics tend to the spiritual needs of Indians and leave secular matters regarding the work and punishment to the settlers. So the Spanish monarchy was caught between religious demands to ameliorate the conditions of Indians and settler demands that they be allowed to conduct their plantations as they saw fit. But religious leaders such as Father Montesinos, as early as the first decade of the 16th century, exerted sufficient pressure upon the monarchy to force implementation of new laws regarding Indians. The laws of Burgos endeavored to restrict punishment of Indians and guarantee them access to the clergy, though the monarchy had no means to enforce the laws. Failure to mitigate conditions for Native Americans resulted in large-scale deaths. Spanish settlers decided to, to draw upon 
African slave labor in order to meet their needs. Ladinos, Africans who were slaves in Spain, were brought to the New World. Ladinos, however, were covered under the provisions of the Seven Walls Law. Las Siete Paredes, the Seven Walls, and were therefore entitled to purchase freedom and have access to the Catholic Church. <clears throat> in 1518, King Charles I granted permission to import Bozales, black Africans from, from Africa, into the Americas. Bartolome de las Casas exemplified the road taken by priests in the New World. Priests like him <coughs> exhorted fellow Spaniards to help the Indians. Las Casas, Father Las Casas came from a family whose men had sailed with Columbus on several voyages. He was invited by, by the Columbus family to settle in Cuba and become a planter. Las Casas had an epiphany, gave up his plantation and slaves, and joined the Dominican cause in defending Indian rights. Bartolome de las Casas, who's a Catholic priest, Dominican, was a proponent of peaceful conversion of Indians. He believed conversion could only be valid if it was a voluntary act of the individual. <clears throat> Father Las Casas supported efforts to establish model communities for Indians where they would be taught European methods of farming as well as the meaning of Catholicism. He even drew upon the use of song, dance, and drama to convert Indians into cent in Central America. His efforts met with fierce opposition from Spanish settlers and even some members of the clergy. Jesus 911, we're talking about Catholicism and slavery and the way little by little by little the Catholic Church kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at this evil institution until it finally was eradicated. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. <clears throat> Remember, life is like a credit card. You can swipe and swipe, but at the end, someone has to pay the bill. When you die, will you have enough capital to pay your bill? Not at all. The only one that can pay your bill is the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him every day, Lord, pay my sin debt and wipe my slate clean. I'm a wretched sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember, with a crown of thorns on his head and with a cross of wood on his back, he had you on his mind. I'm talking about Catholicism and slavery. On Mondays, I share the incredible contributions that the Catholic Church has made. And let's remember... Slavery was a worldwide institution. It was practiced everywhere. The Catholic Church didn't have the moral or political authority to stop it. But the church killed slavery, I would call it death by a thousand slashes. <clears throat> Let me get into some, uh, some of the death by a thousand slashes that the Catholic Church, uh, throughout the history of the world, especially Western civilization, started ramping it up in their in their rhetoric against slavery did you know that pope paul the third in 1537 issued a decree praising the efforts of peacefully converting the native americans not by force but by peace and by rational thought pope paul the third in 1537 
He also supported a royal edict issued by Charles V of Spain that endeavored to halt mistreatment of Indians. Pope Paul III stated the following, Therefore, attending to the fact that the Indians themselves, although they are born, <clears throat> they are outside the bosom of the church, have not been and should not be deprived of their liberty or of ownership of what is their own. And that, since they are men and therefore capable of faith and salvation, they are not to be given into servitude, but rather by preaching good examples and the like should be invited to eternal life. We command that anyone of whatever dignity, state, condition, or grade who works against what is done through you or others to help the Indians in the aforementioned matters incurs the penalty of excommunication. So Pope Paul III in 1537 he said that slaves, the Indian slaves are to be given, are not to be given into slavery, are not to be given into servitude. <clears throat> also, the school of Salamanca, the school of Salamanca in Spain noted, <clears throat> noted in the person of the Dominican theologian Francisco de Vitoria, and this is found in our Sunday Visitors Encyclopedia of Catholic Doctrine. It says, quote, Francisco de Vitoria began to elaborate what has developed into modern international law and human rights and the modern prohibition of slavery. So this was something that was another one of the contributions of the Catholic Church. Little by little, the church's rhetoric on the human dignity of the person, <clears throat> little by little, became internationalized. Also, papal influence plus vigorous lobbying by clergy such as Father Las Casas led to a royal proclamation in 1542. Get this. In 1542, this is called the New Laws of the Indies. And these, these new laws laid down several key principles. Number one, they forbade all future enslavement of Indians. Two, they forbade making Indians work against their will. Three, they revoked all encomiendas held by officials in which Indians were held as slaves and placed these Indians directly under the protection of the crown. Encomiendas, that's a Spanish word, <coughs> they were Spanish colonial grants giving the right to appropriate the labor of native people in specified areas in return for Christianizing them. In some situations, these grants, <coughs> in, in some situations, officials had been granted uh, had been, had, had been granted through these grants together with, the, with an allotment of slaves. But under the new laws, these types of grants were placed directly under the control of the crown. They stated that all private grants were, were to be gradually phased out and forbade establishment of new ones. And they stated that the Indians were to be well treated. Again, this was as a result of papal influence. And so the new laws met with violent opposition from settlers Riots, petitions, and even open rebellion caused the monarchy to back away from immediate enforcement of the laws. The king feared that implementation of the new laws would result in a civil war and perhaps loss of the Spanish colonies. The efforts of Las Casas and other priests were, were effectively throttled. <clears throat> Father Bartolomé de Las Casas returned to Spain in the, in the 1540s to once more take on the task of defending the Indians. He challenged Juan Gaines de Sepúlveda, a noted church authority who supported enslavement of Indians 
to an open debate before the king and other members of the clergy. <clears throat> Sepulveda justified Indian enslavement on the following grounds. He said, A, the gravity of the sins, especially idolatry. B, the rudeness of the natives, which made it necessary for more refined people like the Spaniards to educate them. C, the goal of spreading the faith. And D, the protection of weaker Indians who were subject to human sacrifice and cannibalism. So, <clears throat> the response from Father Las Casas, he responded, no, A, God did not command war against idolaters. B, Indians had rich, vibrant civilizations and sophisticated cultures. C, peaceful conversion was the most effective means of spreading Catholicism. And D, although human sacrifice was evil, indiscriminate warfare was more evil. So, Father Las Casas <clears throat> also presented evidence abundant evidence during the debate that Spaniards in the New World were not seeking to enlighten Indians, but to work them to death through enslavement. A few years before his death in 1566, Father Las Casas addressed a memorandum to the king which reiterated the basic ideas of many clergy seeking to help Native Americans. Number one, Father Las Casas proposed the first, the first point. Number one, all wars called conquests are unjust. Number two, the system of grants is tyrannical. Encomiendas is tyrannical. Three, the king cannot justify wars in the Americas against peaceful peoples. Four, all gold and silver taken from the new world is stolen. And five, Indians have a right to fight against invasion of their land by Spanish conquerors. <clears throat> in the closing pages of his massive history of Spain's conquest in the new world, Father Las Casas warned fellow countrymen that in seeking to acquire riches, they risk losing their souls. Here's what he said. I say and hold it certain that all the crimes committed by the Spaniards against these people with such perverse cruelties have been against the pure and most righteous law of Jesus Christ and against all natural reason and to the greatest infamy of his name and the Christian religion and the total destruction of the faith. And I believe for these impious and ignominious works so unjustly and tyrannically bar barbarously committed, God will pour his fury and anger upon Spain if she does not perform a great penance. The Catholic Church encouraged slaves and free Negroes to organize their own brotherhoods. These brotherhoods handled burial arrangements, conducted social activities for slaves and free Negroes, and even established a savings account for slaves seeking to purchase their freedom. Clergy also safeguarded slave money that was used for purchasing freedom. In some places, the clergy opened schools for free Negroes. Confradas, or mutual aid societies, in Mexico were found throughout the country. These organizations performed similar functions to brotherhoods, but they also built hospitals and were active in organizing festivals. They made certain that slaves and free Negroes had access to the church for marriage ceremonies. And in 1680, the monarchy <coughs> issued the Law of the Indians, which supported the idea of peaceful conversion of Native Americans. It guarantees slaves the right to choose Catholicism and to marry within the church. The laws also made it illegal for masters to force slaves to work on religious holidays. And during the pontificate of Pope Innocent XI, <clears throat> passed away in 1689, several questions were asked of the Holy Office concerning African enslavement. So what was asked? Number one, is it permitted 
<clears throat> to capture by force blacks who have not who have not harmed anyone. Number two, is it permitted to buy and sell blacks who have been who have been uh, made captive against their will? And number three, is it permitted to buy blacks who have been unjustly captured? Pope Innocent XI replied that it was not permitted to engage in any of the above actions. Period. He also said that the buyers of slaves were were compelled to inquire into their circumstances of how the slaves had been captured and to set them free if they were captured by force or deceit. So the Catholic Church played an active role in protecting slaves' rights. Abuse of slave laws <coughs> was always possible in Spanish colonies and since, the num- since the number of priests and committed government officials was never sufficient to guarantee enforcement of laws and procedures. However, the presence of the Catholic Church and its commitment to protecting the slaves and ensuring their participation in Catholicism was always a factor in hindering the abuse of slaves. What I'm going to do next next Monday, I'm going to talk about the Catholic Church and slavery in the United States and Latin America. So I'll, 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 I'll talk about more recent contemporary things that have happened. But what's the point that I'm making? It's the enemies of the Catholic Church that try to embellish uh, the sins of the Catholic Church. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but boy, oh boy, when you compare our track record with any other religion, it's apples and oranges. When you compare the track record of good Catholics and what they've done, again, such as some of these bishops and popes and priests that throughout the centuries were continually speaking out against a universally accepted institution called slavery, and they spoke out again and again. The Catholic Church destroys slavery. How? Through the words of Jesus Christ, the eternal words of Jesus Christ that reverberated in the heart and mind of the Catholic Church, the Bride of Christ throughout the centuries, and also through the moral authority of the Catholic Church, through prophetic voices of different popes, different bishops, different priests that were standing up and they were being prophetic. They were speaking out against the culture of death. They were speaking out against injustice. And little by little, slavery uh, died the death of a thousand slashes. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, my name is Jesse Romero. (coughs) Up next, you're going to hear more from Gary Machuda, the big guy, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. Remember, we're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints you weren't made to fit in. And get this weekend's Spiritual Warfare Conference. Go to vmpr.org, vmpr.org, and order the conference. Sit down and show it to your entire parish. Hey, faith is what gets you started. Hope is what keeps you going. Love is what brings you to the end. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel.